the Gubby Gubby are the traditional custodians of the lands we record this podcast on. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging, as they hold the memories, tradition and culture of this land. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Hello, I'm Kate Fisher. Welcome to Milkshakes for Mali, the podcast that tells the survival stories of blood product recipients to thank donors and to encourage people to donate blood, plasma, platelets and breast milk. This podcast bridges the gap of anonymity between Australian blood donors and their recipients. If you have ever been a blood donor, you could have been the one who saved, prolonged or improved the quality of life for one of the people in the stories that we tell here. And becoming a donor in the future means that you too could become a part of this story. There is information in our show notes on how to add your blood donation to the Milkshakes for Marley Lifeblood team. If you are new to the pod and you want to hear the origin story, please scroll back in your podcast feed and listen to the first episode, which tells the story of our daughter Marley and her big battle against seronegative autoimmune encephalitis and the way that Australian plasma donors have saved her life. To find updates on Marley and her amazing seizure response service dog Patty and all the news from the Milkshakes for Marley community, please join us on all the socials. I am so excited to share this episode with you today. This morning I had the pleasure of chatting with Reggie. Fresh off winning Big Brother for the second time, she joins me for a special episode to celebrate Disability Pride Month and to thank blood donors for improving the quality of life for her friend, Maddie Rewalt and for giving the gift of more time with family and friends before her tragic passing at the age of 26. This chat is everything that I hoped it would be, just two mothers catching up on navigating their own health struggles while caring for medically complex kids, and most of all, appreciating life. Here is Reggie. All right. Reggie, what a joy it is to have you here on the Milkshakes for Mali podcast. Welcome. It's such a pleasure to have you as part of our Milkshakes for Mali community. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> <laughs> now, this week must have been an absolute whirlwind for you. How many media interviews do you think you've done in the last few days? Oh, my goodness. Oh, man. Oh, it's so many. It's crazy. <laughs> Probably, I don't know, maybe... 40, 50, 50 Crazy. maybe? Yeah, yeah, could be more. I don't know. It's been just nonstop. One after the other. Um, yeah. Ben, you and I have been crafting this chat for months now before you became back to being the most wanted woman in Australian media again. Um, <laughs> with a particular focus on your mate, Maddie Rewald, um, who needed many, many, many blood products during her treatment for aplastic anemia, which unfortunately took her life at the age of 26. Um, our listeners will probably know her through the work of Maddie's vision, and we'll get to that later in the episode. Yeah, yeah. But thank you so much for agreeing to have a chat about that. Um, firstly, I just want to focus on the chameleon that is Reggie Bird. You wear so many hats. You're the celebrity who has won Big Brother twice. And I remember your first season very, very well. <laughs> so oh, that shows wow. my age a little bit as well. <laughs> We're a similar <laughs> vintage. You're a wife. You're a mother to two beautiful children, one of whom has complex health needs, which means that you are also a carer. 
You're also being rapidly recognised as a disability advocate and in Australia, as you've shared your progressive story of your loss of vision, um, and this has resulted in you becoming legally blind. You've now won Big Brother again, and you're in every newspaper, radio show, and all over the socials. So outside all of this madness, who is Reggie? Oh, gosh. <laughs> who is Reggie? Reggie is, yeah, um, a mum with two kids um, who just uh, battles along each day, takes each day as it comes, and and I never take anything for granted. I, yeah, I just don't take things for granted. Like, you know, losing my eyesight, um, one day I am going to wake up and it's going to be totally gone. So mm -hmm. I'm never going to see anything ever again. Um, and, yeah, and I am a carer to my son, Lucas, who has cystic fibrosis. And um, bless Mia's heart, she's um, touch wood, she's, she's fine. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so I married a Tassie boy. And so all of our children, we refer to them as being half Tasmanian. And Tasmanian <laughs> are my favorite people in the world. Um, and they come very much with that brand of authenticity, which you have made as exactly your brand and exactly yeah. who you are. What strikes me is that that was such an element of your first series of Big Brother, but you couldn't maintain that for a whole lifetime. You know, people can put on a front as part of a reality TV show potentially, but that is just exactly who you are. What is it that makes Tasmanians the most honest, wholesome, loyal people in the whole world? Yeah, Tassie, Tassie people are just really down-to-earth, genuine, loving, caring people. Um, there, there's something so special about us, and we, we're very... Um, laid back and um you know caring yeah. you know and and full of honesty as well <clears throat> we, we're a different breed down there <laughs> you really really are in the best possible way every time we yeah. go down there I just say that every day feels like Sunday in Hobart my hubby grew up yes in Hobart. I mean even where I, where mum and dad live um and my sister like they, they're down the Tasman Peninsula yeah and yeah. You know, when you when you drive home and you're going down there, you know, on the side of the road, people are selling bags of apples or bits of fruit, and you've got your honesty box tin there. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you put your money in it, you buy, oh, you know, the pink-eyed potatoes. You yeah. Put your money in the tin and get your potatoes and go. That, that's what it's like. <laughs> I love going to cafes down there, and they're so passionate about their food and, you know, their drinks and everything, and they can tell you exactly where the things on your plate came from and, you know, this local yeah. car up the road grew this part, and, you know, they're so passionate about small businesses and engaging community and it's just got such a beautiful vibe down there so I hope Australia has seen the way that Tasmania can grow beautiful people yes. in the way that they've seen you <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm a genuine honest and earth girl <laughs> absolutely now you're a mum to two beautiful children and you really came back onto my radar after having supported you in your first season of Big Brother all those years ago um, when I saw some of your advocacy work that you were doing around your son Lucas's cystic fibrosis, um, you also have had two ectopic pregnancies and a stroke, which can be life-threatening. Yeah. Um, did you need any blood products for any of your experiences? Have you ever needed blood products? No, um, no, I didn't. So mm -hmm. um, 
with those ectopic pregnancies, they were just horrific and they were so painful. Yeah. Um, and I remember, the, like, the first one, I, I was bleeding so heavily and I just thought, oh, I've got my period's really bad this time around. And mm-hmm. then um, and the pain just wouldn't go off. Excruciating pain and then ended up going to hospital and that's when I found out I had an ectopic pregnancy. And they, re- they cut out, I lost that side of the tube, they cut the tube out and, um, and then, yeah, and then that was after I, Mia's pregnancy. Then, then they said, look, your chances of falling pregnant again are about 50%, if not less. Yeah. And then I had Lucas, yeah. and then after Lucas, I, yeah, I had the other ectopic pregnancy, but I knew, I knew straight away that was happening to me again because mm-hmm. um, of the, how painful it was. Yeah, so, no, I didn't um, need any blood products yeah. mm, I know when you go into um theater after when you've had an ectopic pregnancy um we've spoken to other people on the pod that quite often that internal bleeding can be quite significant so I'm sure yeah. they would have had those blood products on standby had you yeah had them. yeah when because oh, they showed me the photo mm. um of, of inside of me and I'm like wow I was yeah like, this was so so dangerous as Absolutely. well yeah they're no yeah. joke they can be quite easily life-threatening so the fact that you've got through two of them yeah you're probably very lucky oh. particularly the second time that you recognize straight away what it was yes straight away on you oh it's happening to me again <laughs> and also you know they yeah. say that's one of the most painful things that you can go through and it's such a testament to the strength of women and the way that we deal with our menstrual health that you're just like oh it's just a really bad period and it's actually I know one of the most painful experiences that a human can have <laughs> crazy gosh we're 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 uh, we're strong we are strong yeah (laughs) all right so tell me about lucas how old is he and how does cystic fibrosis affect him uh lucas is 12 he'll uh be 13 teenager next month um, yeah which is exciting and uh yeah cystic fibrosis it it affects his life you know every single day he has to do uh physiotherapy and Mm -hmm. nebulizers and take medication um to keep him alive and it's but you know we do the best that we can to try and keep on top of it um he plays basketball uh, and that's really really helped heaps um, yeah absolutely and, oh with because going on all, all can be a drug all can be um as well he's been on that for two years basketball and playing the basketball um it's kept him at a hospital but just recently he had a he got the flu um, and that just totally knocked him um, down and they wanted to put him in for an admission and, and they gave, we'll give you another week and just try and see how it goes. So um, he managed to um, start to get on top of things. So yeah, it all worked yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. So ooh, I was dreading going back in there for a Because ch- normally when they go in, we're going for a tune-up. Yeah, two, yeah, two 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 to three weeks um, mm. where they pump, put a pick line into his arm and then they'll pump strong antibiotics into his body to 
getting back on track again. Yeah, it's a lot, isn't it? And isn't it interesting that when you are in that survival mode, like when he was first diagnosed and as a little one, when you spent so much time in hospital with him, because the adrenaline's pumping and you're in such survival mode, you just get it done because that's just what you have to do. (laughs) But when you've got a little bit of a break from it, the thought of going back in to that hospital setting for those long amounts of time, like that PTSD just hits you so much from that terror. It does. It does. My anxiety goes through the roof. I just mm-hmm. get super anxious and I'm just like, no, I just do not want to go back into hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and even for Lucas, you know, it's like, oh, poor little fellow, because you, you, all the need, all, all the needles, the finger pricks, the, he just hates it all. It's, mm-hmm. it's not, yeah. And it's mentally exhausting for him as well. Absolutely. And even at that age too, where he's in that preteen, he's not quite a little kid, but he's not quite a man yet. Like he probably doesn't want mummy looking after him all the time. He wants to have that independence, but in a hospital setting, you have to just lean into having other people look after you. This month is Disability Pride Month and the theme for Disability Pride Month is the future is accessible. What do you want our listeners to know about vision impairment and what could be done to make the world more accessible for you? Yeah, gosh. Um, it's, even going into um, shops, <laughs> like it's, 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 it's hard. Um, some of the oh, like places, it, it's hard to move around. Um, even, even like I feel for people uh, who are in wheelchairs, like, Places aren't built uh, in this world to for people with disabilities. They're it's really, really not. <laughs> they're not designed. And like we're in the year twenty twenty two. Surely, people, architects or they can when they make designing things. Can, can you just design stuff to make it more accessible for yeah, people? Absolutely. It's yeah. It's 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 crazy. Um, yeah, and and you know. Going, going on to Big Brother with um, with my, you know, limited eyesight, um, I was super proud, you know, to, to get in there and have a go and mm. show people who, you know, do have a disability that you can do do anything. Um, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot that needs to be done. Um, there needs to be more education. Um, I think it should start in schools as well um, for people you know, teach them about disabilities because mm. at any stage in, in your life, anyone can become, um, have, have something go wrong with them. And, and mm. you know, I was, like, I, I didn't know that I was born with this eye disease and um, it wasn't until I was 29 years old that I got diagnosed with it and it's just totally gone down downhill. Mm. Um, yeah, so more education and, yeah. It starts with education. Yeah. <laughs> so, is it something that your children can inherit? And do you do you wish you had have known when you were younger, or were you happy living your life not knowing until you needed to? Oh, okay. No, I've I've always even I think like, even before this happened to me, like finding out with my eyesight, I always used to say, you know, at school we should be taught um, sign language. We should be taught like braille yeah I've I've said this even before um this happening to me and yeah yeah, 
it's frustrating. <laughs> Sorry, it's frustrating. My, yeah, yeah. I'm the mother of three children with various physical um, and neurodevelopmental disabilities. So you are speaking my language. This is exactly what we're trying to do. And this is part of this podcast as well, is that we're changing the narrative from we talk about a lot of people with children and I'm thinking about Lucas in this situation but changing the narrative from special needs child and thinking about talking about families with additional needs instead because if you have a child or anyone in your family with an illness injury or disability that's going to impact on your entire family be that you know socially financially even in terms of you know a lot of people become carers and they spend lots of time in hospital with their children and that impacts on their superannuation and the way that, you know, retirement is going to look for them. So, yeah, Yeah. I think that's really important to think about the way that that impacts on families and the way they interact with, you know, the community as well. And education is such a beautiful starting point for that. Now, I heard you talking on Mia Friedman's No Filter podcast earlier in the year about not having your application for a guide dog approved because you weren't working. That seems ludicrous to me because being a carer is working. I can't imagine having limited vision and trying to access hospital systems. And, you know, hospitals are just little rabbit warrens. Like they're hard enough to get around at the best of times anyway. Um, So, yeah, being a carer with a child with complex health needs and also managing your own disability seems like a full-time job to me. Um, Our daughter, Marley, has a seizure response service dog. So she, at times, has been mixed use in a wheelchair. So I had a giggle before when you were talking about, you know, shop aisles and not being able to get through. Oh, yeah. (laughs) When Marley was, she's out of her wheelchair at the moment, but she comes and goes with, you know, her health fluctuates. Um, but you know trying to get through a shopping center with a child in a wheelchair flanked by a service dog like the world is just not set up to navigate it's not so (laughs) I think that we should talk further about the fact that you should look in again to getting a guide dog because they are just the most beautiful thing and you know even in terms of anxiety that you were talking about before Paddy is trained for Marley's autism, but also to do seizure response. So his ability to calm her is unbelievable. So off this call at a later time, I'll send you some photos of them together. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be lovely. (laughs) Now you were great mates with Maddie Rewalt and our listeners would recognise her as the sister of AFL players, Nick and Jack Rewalt. Again, good Tassie boys, because so many of the best people in the world come from Tasmania. Um, and with the advocacy under the hashtag Fight Like Maddie, Maddie's vision has been founded to help adolescents and young adults suffering from bone marrow syndromes through research and through providing support into treatments, prevention, and with an aim to find a cure. She passed away at the age of 26 from complications of aplastic anemia, and during her treatment, she needed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of blood transfusions to improve her quality of life, but also to prolong her life. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about your mate, Maddie? I want to cry, sorry. (laughs) She was was a beautiful girl. Um, Yeah, yeah, she was just, oh, I just love Maddie to bits, and and I miss her dearly, and... um, and she just comes from such a beautiful family. The Rewalts are just so beautiful. Again, you know, down to earth Tasmanian people. Yeah. And I met Maddie. I first met Maddie was um, oh, I played in a, it was after my first big brother and I played in a 
charity uh, football match at the Southport Sharks. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, it was against, um, I think I was playing with Nick. Um, it was like a celebrity game and it was after the Bali bombings. Um, oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, it was yep. to raise, um, I think, money for, for that. And and Nick came up to me um, after the game, and Maddie was with Nick, and that's and and that's where our friendship began, mm. and we stayed good mates. Um, yeah. yeah. So, you know, and when when she, um, I remember because she started getting bruises, like because she used to play soccer, so um, she, bruises were coming out on, on her body, and um, yeah, and then when I f- found out that she had this. Um, plastic anemia um I, I did not realize that um, this was going to take her life yeah. like with the bone marrow failure um I remember I remember she was counting down the days to go before having the, the transplant and yeah and unfortunately she, gosh I think she was in ICU mm. for seven months mm. yeah and I remember going flying down to see her and not long after I, I'd seen her she away yeah but you know but she was full of life Maddie Mm. she was yeah and even um Fiona sent me a text um the other after winning Big Brother I only I only just got back to it to her and um you know she said Maddie would have just been absolutely blown away and absolutely yeah because she loved Maddie loves the sport and she loves the reality tv she loved all that stuff Mm. yeah well, it's a beautiful way to yeah remember her and her legacy through this episode and hopefully some people listen to this um, and can see the impact that she's had on people's lives and particularly oh. through the work of the foundation, the legacy they've created for her life is just so powerful. Um, and it is. It is. It's, oh, it's unbelievable because I remember after a funeral and, you know, and, and, and we're there talking and, and thinking how the parents were talking about oh, we should um how we can how they could set up a, a, a foundation mm. for Maddie and, and they didn't know how to go about it or what to do and then now look at them it's just amazing what they do yeah yeah it's just yeah so important to yeah use that story for her to keep and she is I mean she still to this day her story is making people be grateful to be alive and live their life to the fullest and do beautiful things like that joy is still spilling into our lives now so yeah Yeah. thank you for sharing those memories with us that's really important all right to round us out because you are the most popular woman in Australian media at the moment um and (laughs) lots more interviews to do today um what would you like to say to the blood donors who donated blood that helped to keep Maddie alive and to improve her quality of life and give her more time or anyone who's considering donating blood in the future oh look everyone I think everyone should get that there and who who can donate i know there's a lot of people that can't but mm. but those that do and, and and help maddie um yeah keep her going for as long as that she did just thank you so much and yeah. um yeah it's just awesome it's that, that people care to go to donate blood to help mm. it to help others yeah. yeah and if you haven't done it and you know maybe get out there and next time and Go and donate if you yeah. can. Give yeah, it a go. yeah give it a go. 
Thank you, Reggie. It's been such a joy having you on the Milkshakes for Molly podcast today. Um, and Thank I look forward you. to seeing what comes next because you're a woman that has worn so many hats with so much talent and so many amazing things that you've done. So we can't wait to see where you go from here. Yeah, good things are going to come. I, I just know. I've got, a, I've got a feeling in my bones, you know, that something <laughs> is going to come out of this, this yeah, time around. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Reggie. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Take care. <laughs> Thank you. Reggie and I had been chatting online for a while before she came back into this crazy orbit of fame, and I can't tell you how humble and gorgeous she is. This chat just filled me with so much hope and joy for the world that our children are growing up in, because I know with people like Reggie at the helm of disability advocacy, I know the world will be a better place for everybody. You can visit the Maddie's Vision website to find out more about the work of the foundation and to make donations to support their ongoing work. I'll pop a link to their details in the show notes. Nothing feels more Australian like the modern demonstration of mateship than donating blood or breast milk and this product being used to keep another Australian alive. Our daughter is still alive today because of this incredible selfless gift and it is my privilege to create a space for others to tell their stories and to give thanks. This episode was written and hosted by me, Kate Fisher. Our guest today was two-time Big Brother winner and all-round amazing human, Reggie Bird, with audio production by my hubby and Molly's dad, Jeff. To make an appointment to donate, please call Lifeblood on 13 14 95. Our Lifeblood team is called Milkshakes for Marley, and we have donors from all over Australia, so please join us and add your donation to our team tally. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We would be grateful if you could leave us a review It was as it will pump our episode into other people's feeds or just give us some love on the socials using the hashtag milkshakes for Marley. And as always, I'll leave the final word to Marley. Thank you for my prize, Marley.